0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Title of tonight's message is, He is Calling You by Name. He is calling you by name, Esther chapter two. If you were here with us last time, when we were in chapter one, just a little recap. King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes. Ahasuerus was a title like Pharaoh or like a president. We know him as Xerxes. He reigned for over, he reigned over 127 provinces. It was a huge kingdom that he was in charge of. It went from India to Ethiopia. Susa was the uh, area for a winter home where the king would go because of the climate. In chapter one, we saw him in his third year of his reign. He had made a feast. He invited all the Big shots from all over the 127 provinces and it lasted six months and then after six months was over he wanted to have one more week of feasting and one of the things that we looked at last time is that according to the king's edict they could eat drink and be merry they didn't have to drink but they could drink to their fill The chapter ends by the king summoning his wife, Queen Vashti, who was very beautiful, but she refused to come. He wanted to parade her in front of his, uh, all the people in the province who was invited to the party. She would not come. This started an uproar in the kingdom they were fearful that all the women would now not listen to their husbands, because if the king allowed this to happen, it was carte blanche for the females of the land. Well, some of the wise men in the king's court said that it was time to get rid of the queen and to select a new queen. And that's where we're picking up in chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at a few things here. But let's first take a look at the first few verses. After these things, when the wrath of King Azaris subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Now, just taking uh, that first verse... There's four years that have passed. The king had gone out to a war that I'll talk about in a few minutes, but one of the things I want you to think about is after these things, those things that he's talking about is a war that took place. If you were with us last time, Xerxes' dad had lost a big battle at the Battle of Marathon. So Xerxes was very upset at the Greeks who had defeated his dad. Well, one of the things that this first verse is talking about after these things is Xerxes, the current king, is now going after the Greeks. And he summons all his warriors, all his soldiers, all his ships and they're going to go and attack the Greeks. Now, one of the things that you might have seen is the movie 300, and this was part of what was going on back here. You know, might know the Battle of Thermopylae, where the Spartans held off this king, for a period of days they finally defeated the Spartans and went on but one of the things that has taken place now four years later is the king is coming back home after being defeated and he's having a pity party so that enters in here now to what took place he's remembering what happened to his wife Vashti, that she would not come at his summons when he had this party. So in verse 2, it says, Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for, the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. So you can imagine the lust of the flesh, the the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here this king is having a pity party because he's just had a big defeat, and he's back in his kingdom, and... His court of wise men, secular men that they were, said, let's have all the young virgins be selected and let them come to the king that he may pick one of them as his wife. One of the things that the Lord put on my heart with this particular few verses here is the anger of the king at what his Queen Vashti did. And how it burned inside of him. And how it was handled in the kingdom. Isn't it good to know that our king, Jesus, is not angry with us for what we've done? That he doesn't hold grudges, but more importantly, he provides grace and mercy for each of us. That we can come before his throne with boldness because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's not an earthly king. He's a heavenly eternal king that has your interest and my interest at heart. One of the things uh, that the king's title means is I will be silent and poor. Do you know many kings that are silent or poor on this earth? Many presidents that are silent or poor? No, for they're only men and they're only women that deal with the same things that you and I deal with. Zechariah 2.13 says, Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for He is springing into action from His holy dwelling. To be silent before the Lord, we know that the Scriptures tell us to be silent and know that He is God. But do we take that time? Are we too caught up in the things, maybe the emotional things, whether it be anger or joy? that we lose sight of who our king is, that we just need to get quiet before him. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I often tell the kids that I deal with that God's given us two ears and one mouth, so we listen twice as much as we speak. You know, everybody's so quick to speak. Silence is a source of strength. Wise men are not always silent, but they know when to be. You know, God is the best listener for anything that you and I are going through because we can talk to Him, we can act out to Him, we can keep silent, but He knows our heart, doesn't He? He knows where our heart is and He hears us. Psalm 18:6 says in my distress I called to the Lord I cried to my God for help from his temple he heard my voice my cry came before him into his ears remember back in Proverbs 10:19 too much talk leads to sin be sensible and keep your mouth shut and we're just thinking it with this thing that's going on here with the king how much chatter must have been going on, how many things people must have been in his ear trying to look good in his eyes as they came up with these different opinions and ideas of what they should do in selecting the new queen. These virgins were just daughters of people Remember, it's all over 100 provinces, and the the people were going through, the soldiers, the, the men were just going through, selecting the beautiful young girls, taking them from their families to bring them to the king. Had to be a sad time for the families that had to go through this. Imagine being a mom or a dad and seeing your daughter plucked right from you to maybe never see her again. The end of verse 3 talked about and let beauty preparations be given them. The Persian empire was full of beautiful perfumes and different types of uh, colors that they could use to put on their skin and purify them with different oils. Verse 4, then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king and he did so. So it was a good idea to the king. He was all for it. He didn't have any objections to having all these women. They say almost 400 women were chosen. Can you imagine 400 young girls that this king had his pick of? Verse 5, in Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemiel, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Benjamite." Remember, uh, Mordecai now is one of the people who was brought to this area because of Nebuchadnezzar when he invaded Judah and took captives, all these people to this area. So he had taken his dad, Kish, who was a Benjamite. Remember Saul, King Saul also was a Benjamite. So here's what's going on and now Mordecai, who was born outside of Israel, outside of Judah in this land, was the uncle of this girl that we're gonna to meet tonight named Esther who this book is named after verse 6 Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah king of Judah whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away and Mordecai had brought up Hadassah that is Esther his uncle's daughter for she had neither father nor mother, so what had happened, somehow Esther's mom and dad were killed, so she was an orphan, and Mordecai, who was her uncle, took her in, became the father figure for her, set the example, and, and we'll see throughout the book of Esther, it was a godly example, he followed, Mordecai followed the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and built into this little girl who now is a young woman the values of their faith. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the king's palace, into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the woman, of the women. So all these women—you just got a picture—close to, picture to four hundred women were being taken to the citadel and Haggai who was a eunuch who was in charge of these women to make sure everything was okay because you have to remember 400 women together could cause a problem and there were fights among the women at times there were arguments you had to remember what they were there for one of them was going to win the heart of the king so can you imagine what was going on I mean there's uh, a show on TV called The Bachelor where all these girls are going for this one guy and all the devious things they tried to do to look good in the eyes of that available man. Can you imagine what must have been happening back then for them to win the heart of the king? So Haggai had a group of guys with him that were all eunuchs, okay, that were watching and taking care of these women, making sure and getting them ready for an audience with the king. Verse 9, Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, And he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So what's taking place now is that Esther has found favor with the eunuch Haggai. Favor was put on this guy by God for this woman. Picture again, 400 women. Why this one? Why was this one woman, Esther, the one that he found favor with? Well, it's because our God is a God who's in control of history, of all circumstances, just like he's in control of your life and my life. Now Esther, just picture Esther, she's among these women. She's, being, she's taken from her home. She's put in a place in the palace, waiting to find out what's going to happen. This is the first time this has happened to any of these women. What are they thinking? What are they going through? There's a lot of anxiety, I'm sure, going on in the hearts of all these girls. But one is isolated for us to see. Now notice in that verse 9 that because he found favor with Esther... And again, this isn't the king that found favor. This is the king's servant. He puts Esther in the best place in the house of the women. The best place. He's taking care of her. Remember, she was an orphan, and God put another man in her life. And that was Mordecai to take care of her, to raise her. And now this girl has been taken out of Mordecai's hands, put in another place, and God has put another person to watch over her. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Remember, she was a Jew, just like Mordecai. And Mordecai had told her not to reveal her nationality. Verse 11, And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Now, this tells us something about Mordecai's position, and we'll see it towards the end of this chapter. He was a person who sat in the courts in the gate of the city making decisions voting on things so he was allowed freedom to go into the palace to be in the court so this is a very special privilege that Mordecai had because not every father or mother you couldn't just show up into the palace of the king you would probably be killed because they wouldn't know you but Mordecai had some place in the government and It was okay for him to be in there. And it's possible that he could also have spoken with Esther during her time there because of his position in the government. So he was keeping an eye on her as well, making sure everything was going okay. Not that he had a lot that he could do because he was really powerless. He was under the dictatorship of the king, Xerxes but at least it gave him peace of mind to see that she was okay. Verse 12, each young woman's turn came to go in to the king after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportions, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Can you imagine that ladies having a whole year in a spa every day with the best treatment that you could get You've got to remember now what we're talking about the days that they were living in the dust and the dirt and the animals probably t- took a lot of bathing to get rid of the horse mule and camel smells on their skin but You can see it must have been a very special time for these women, but at the same time, you have to realize, as we're going to go here, that not every woman was going to, only one was going to be chosen. And what took place with the other women is something that's uh, pretty tough also. Verse 13. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king. And she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. So they would leave the women's quarters. They would go to the king's palace. The eunuch that was watching over these women would ask these women what did they want. They could choose their favorite garments to wear. They could choose whatever perfume they thought was going to be attractive to the king. Remember, they had to get the eye and the heart of the king. So what were these ladies trying to do. How were they acting? What was their personality like? What were they wearing? Well, we see in these, as we're leading into this now, we see that every woman had a turn. But you have to understand that the king was looking at the beauty of this woman, but he was also having a one-night stand with these women. It was a sexual thing that was going on. And these women had to please him or else they were just, and here's the next thing that took place. They were just sent to another part of the palace. They were part of his concubine, but he may never, ever see them again. They couldn't go back home to be with their family. They were like a widow for the rest of their life unless the king paid them any attention when he went into the concubine. So it was pretty serious stuff that was going on. If you weren't chosen, it was like your life was over. Sure, you'd be the king's concubine, or uh, I don't think they would use the term wife, but big deal. Big deal. You would just be in the palace, and you wouldn't be that one lady that he chose, and you couldn't go back maybe home where you had a boyfriend that you wanted to marry one day. Verse 14, in the evening she went and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shagaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. So Esther has gone one night, and then she returned, and they send her to another part of the palace. She doesn't go back to where all the girls are still waiting. Now they put them into another room once you've spent the night with the king. And notice she would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Do you know that our king delights in you and me? And he calls you by name. doesn't matter if there's billions of people on the planet. He knows you by name. You individually by name. And he delights in you. You're his daughter. You're his son. If you've received Jesus into your heart. How many times, maybe like in Esther, before you were chosen by the Lord or even when you were chosen and you received him as your Lord and Savior... How many times do you feel that you're useless? That you've just been put on a shelf? Why isn't God using me? Well, we're going to see in the story of Esther, there's five main characters, but we're going to see in Esther's life, in Mordecai's life, that there were divine delays that God used to put them in a position to make them an impact for his kingdom and his glory. If God's chosen you, which I know for most of you he has, he's already used you in ways hopefully you know, and he's not done with you yet. There's still much more he wants to use you for, and it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Our race isn't over until we cross the finish line and see him face to face. Verse 15 Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go in to the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now, can you picture the bachelor and all the women, what they go through? Now, here is Esther going to the king, and she requests nothing except what the eunuch suggested. Now, who knew better than another guy what the king liked? Maybe the special color he liked. Maybe the special perfume he liked. And think of all the women that this king has had. And here Esther decides to go in with nothing. And in verse 16, we see that Esther was taken to the king into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, in the 7th year of his reign. Remember when we opened up in chapter 1, it was the third year of his reign, so it's four years later, four years has passed. Verse 17, The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. She obtained grace and favor from the king But guess what happened before the earthly king received her? She received grace and favor from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There was something about Esther that was different from all the 400 other women or any other women that the king ever had. There was something that shone through her. There was something about her personality, the way she wasn't all decked out or gaudy or you know, seductively dressed or seductively came on to the king. She was a child of the living God and that separated her from any other person that came into the king's court and it took a hold of this king's heart different than any other person had done. As we see in that verse 17, he loved Esther more than all the other women took the crown that was on Vashti's head, put it on her head. He had found his new queen. Verse 18, Then the king made a great feast. This guy loved to party, didn't he? The feast of Esther for all his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. So he brought back all his friends, all the leaders from all those provinces. It was the Feast of Esther. It was a time of celebration throughout the kingdom. Now we see in verse 19, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. In 1970, in Shusan, in Susa, the citadel area, they uncovered Uh, one of the gates of an old um, wall that stood there. And it was looking out to the east side. And it was huge. You could have, it was a big chamber where men could meet to make decisions. And this was right in this area that we're reading about right now. That was back in 1970 that they unearthed that. Verse 20, now Esther... Had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. It's interesting that Queen Vashti, when summoned by the king of the kingdom, did not come. But Mordecai, who brought up Esther in a godly way, listened to Mordecai, even though she was the queen, the influence this fatherly figure had on her. Hopefully you and I have had people or have people in our lives that have a spiritual influence on us. Because what Queen Esther was going through right now before she was a queen was not easy. She had to rely on her God. She had to rely on the teachings of the first five books of the Old Testament. She had to rely on the things that Mordecai had said to her. How many times do we rely on the words of God, on the things that he tells us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Those are some of the verses that have become life verses for me through the experiences of my life. And I'm sure you have many verses too, or at least a couple that you cling to. Verse 21, In those days while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Than and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. Big Than and Teresh. What names? Uh, big thing. Big thing. Who's Big Than? It's a big guy, little guy, medium sized guy? I don't know. But here were two eunuchs, human beings that are eunuchs. Remember, they lived in a land where they saw other men have wives and children, yet they were chosen to be castrated and just in charge of these beautiful women. Where were their hearts? What was going on in their lives? The cool thing is the God that we know was also there for them. Maybe we'll see Big Than in heaven one day. Well, they became furious, and they sought to lay hands on the king. Verse 22, so the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. What loyalty, huh, that Esther had to Mordecai. She didn't take credit for this particular plot being shown to the king on his assassination attempt, but he said, Mordecai brought this to me, that these two guys want to kill you. Verse 23, and when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed that, and both were hanged on gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, this was not hanging by a rope, This was where they would take a tree, and they would uh, spike the top of the tree. They would form it into a spike, and then they would impale the person on it. They would just push them right down on it, and they would be set right there as an example for all the kingdom to see or to hear about. So it was a terrible thing that was going on, but this was the, when we hear hanging on the gallows, it was an actual impaling of this, this uh, spike through the person. Now, we're not going to go into chapter 3, but one of the things that almost 14 years passed by between the end of chapter 2 and the, end, and the beginning of chapter 3 And we're going to be introduced to the fourth character in the book of Esther, and that's going to be Haman, the next time. But I want you to just take a look at this, that Mordecai, it ends there with what Mordecai did. It's written down in the chronicles that were um, kept throughout the centuries, but Mordecai's really given no credit for this. Have you or I ever done anything that we don't get any credit for that we've done for the Lord? Probably the answer is yes. But remember what the Lord says in Colossians, that all we do should be done for God. And it's just our way of giving thanks back to Him. We don't need to get the approval of men, even though that is nice. But here Mordecai sees his adopted daughter become queen. He's thankful that he has some place in the government. But in one sense, he's slighted. But in another sense, he's being used by God in a very special way. And we're going to see that as the story unfolds. But I just want to close with this thought When the King Xerxes went to fight the Greeks and he was defeated and came back home, was the defeat of the Greeks something that we could tell was going to take place? The answer to that is yes, because back when the King Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and... The dream was revealed to him by Daniel. Remember the big figure with how it was made with gold and bronze and all everything. It told, Daniel told how the different kingdoms were going to defeat each other. But one of the things that we didn't know back in those dreams, what the, that there was going to be a Mordecai and an Esther that God was going to use to establish his kingdom and his way. I believe that you and I are like the Mordecais and the Esthers that God is using to establish his kingdom, to point people in the direction of the eternal kingdom. And just like God uses Mordecais and Esthers, he uses all the good kings and all the bad kings, all the good presidents and all the bad presidents. He uses all of them to put everything in the right line, so that what his will is will be accomplished when it's all said and done. And one day, like we can look back at the different things that God has given us here in his love letters, that we're going to look back from another perspective one day on all eternity and say, wow, how did we miss that? God was using that person all the time, and I thought he was one of the most evil persons I've ever seen. And he might have been. But in spite of that, God's will will be done. God won the victory for you and me at the cross. And in the end, all God's people will win, come out on the winning side. Amen? Let's pray.